says no about certain things. And what's interesting is we don't realize how much it hurts us until we do it and we get hurt. Isn't that what happens? It's only at the end of it when we're all mangled by this thing that we're like, I should have just listened to the Lord. I should have just listened. Because God loves us enough not to let us hurt ourselves. So let's just do what His Word says. Simply, naively, elegantly, just do what He asks us to do. As Pastor Daniel speaks about the mixed multitudes during the exodus from Egypt, you'll recognize God's intention for everyone to be their God and for them to be His people. His desire hasn't changed, but there's a danger in living in community with people who aren't on the same page in their faith. We'll consider how to avoid this messy situation while still ministering to others. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with his continuing study entitled, The Exodus. God loves us enough not to let us hurt ourselves. That's why God says no sometimes. He's like, I love you enough not to let you hurt yourself. I mean, Obadiah, he would love, he would love to run around the house with scissors in his hands. He'd love, I mean, why not? They're scissors. If he hits them into the wall, there's going to put a hole in the wall. You can cut anything you want at any time. But I love him enough not to let him do it, right? Yeah, he might not hurt himself right away, but at some point, he's going to get nicked. And maybe someone else will too. I love him enough just to say, buddy, I don't want you to hurt yourself. You can still have fun in other ways. You can still run. Just don't run with scissors in your hand. God loves us enough not to let us hurt ourselves. And that's why God says no about certain things. And what's interesting is we don't realize how much it hurts us until we do it and we get hurt. Isn't that what happens? It's only at the end of it when we're all mangled by this thing that we're like, I should have just listened to the Lord. I should have just listened. Because God loves us enough not to let us hurt ourselves. So let's just do what His Word says. Simply, naively, elegantly, just do what He asks us to do. Now, God's been saying this 10th plague is coming. Verse 29 and 30, here it is. Very brief. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he, all his servants, and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where there was not one dead. God holds life and death in his hands. And God asks us to choose life. We've said this all the way through the plagues of Exodus. Remember, this didn't have to happen to Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. Pharaoh brought it on himself and his people. At any point, he could have just let the people go and it would have been finished. But he brought it on himself. God sets before you and I this day life and death. And he asks us to choose life. 
And we choose life according to God's word by choosing Jesus. Choosing Jesus the first time as our Lord and Savior and then choosing Jesus every single day. Choosing Jesus' way instead of our own way. That's when we choose life. When, we, when we're tempted, when we're at that fork in the road. And Jesus says, you know I don't want you to do this. And I'm saying, but hey, I really want to do this, Lord. We choose Jesus. That is the way of life. That is the way of life. In the middle of that night, at midnight, God went through. There was death in every house. And it's interesting. It says that Pharaoh woke up. And from the greatest to the least, from the firstborn of Pharaoh to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon. That's what it means. It means from the greatest to the least and the livestock. The 10th plague was a plague of total death. So look at what happens. Verse 31. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians." Now remember, up until this point, Moses and Aaron would go to Pharaoh and Pharaoh would say, no, I'm not going to let you go, remember? And then he started saying, well, you can go, but only the men go. Or stay here in the land and you can worship. Or, you know, just leave, just take some of the livestock. Don't take it all. It was always a compromise. And now at the 10th plague, the climax of the plagues, now he's like, look, get out of here. Take all of you and everything and please go away. Now Pharaoh's at where he should have been at the beginning, just being obedient to the Lord. Now he's there. And it's interesting. He says, go and please bless me. He wants, in the midst of, he wants the blessing of Moses because he realizes now that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses and Aaron is God. And he's like, I need the blessing of this God. And I, we don't want to miss that because we live in a world that people are entitled to their own opinions. I believe that. Everybody has a right to their own opinion. But that doesn't mean every opinion is right. But everyone has the right to their own opinion. I think we should respect people and their right to an opinion. I don't think we should malign them. I don't think we should hate them. I think we should look down on them. But we should also be living lives that people who don't believe us say, hey, listen, you just pray that your God blesses me. Do you ever have that happen? So I was like, I don't really believe in your God, but can you pray for me? We should live lives that have that kind of choir. Like, I, I don't know what you got going on, but whatever, I don't know if I believe all that, but can you just ask for help for me? That's a good sign. Because that means somebody is seeing something unique in your life. In your life. So he says, listen, please bless me. Please bless me. And it goes on to say, and God had told them that this was going to happen. In verse 35 and 36, that they were going to plunder the Egyptians. In effect, what God was doing is he was paying the children of Israel for their slave labor. 
at the hands of the Egyptians. They asked them. They didn't steal it. No, it didn't say they stole it. It said, ask of them. And the Egyptians just gave it to them. Here, just take it. And so they're leaving now with haste. Notice, they took their bread. It was unleavened. They had their kneading bowls in their clothes on their shoulders. So they just had like a, you know, like a sling sack. And they're out of there. And they're also leaving with great riches. With great riches. And it's interesting. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 14, if you remember back that far, this is what God said to Abraham. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge afterward they shall come out with great possessions. So God had told Abraham that this was going to happen and now it's happening. Now it's happening. Now, verse 37. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth about 600,000 men on foot besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them also and flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt for it was not leavened because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of 430 years, on the very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. Now notice, 600,000 men besides children. That's a pretty big number. Do you remember at the end of the book of Genesis, the beginning of the book of Exodus, how many people went down to Egypt? About 70. 75, depending on if you're counting Joseph and his sons who were born in Egypt and their wives and all that. So it's amazing that God had promised that they would become a great multitude and they did. And they did. 600,000. Now notice, is it only the children of Israel who leave the land? What does it say? It says that there is a mixed multitude. Verse 38. Which means when the children of Israel left, not only children of Israel went. There were people who were from Egypt who saw what was going on and said, hey, can I come with you? You think of someone like Rahab in the book of Joshua who's like, hey, can I get on with you guys? Someone like Ruth, same thing. She's like, look, I'm a Moabitess, but I want to be part of your crew. And anybody in here who's of non-Jewish origin, we're part of that. Not necessarily of the lineage, but we're joining for the road. Now, don't get me wrong. Biblically, oftentimes a mixed multitude is a problem. Because oftentimes when we roll with people who do not believe what we believe, then there is going to be some friction. Because people want things that we necessarily don't want. That's why the Bible talks about don't be unequally yoked together with non-believers. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have friends, but you should be careful who you live life with. I've been a pastor for about 12 years. And I've met more couples. When a couple's coming into the office, they want to talk about getting married, and one's a Christian, one's a not. No one's not a Christian. I'm like, I always say the same thing. I'm like, look, Let's say the girl's a Christian and the man's not. That's normally the way it goes. Or the man isn't a Christian, but he's pretending to be a Christian because he's smart enough to realize that he has to be a Christian to be able to marry this beautiful girl. 
he's smart enough to know he, how to play the game. And he's, you know, all charismatic in worship until two weeks after they get married and then he doesn't want to go to church ever again. I've seen this too many times. And I always say the same thing. I say to the girl, I say, look, you're God's daughter. And until that man really knows Jesus, he's never going to love you the way you really want. And I look at that guy, I'm like, look, you know you're not going to be able to love her the way she really needs because she wants the love of Jesus coming through you and you're not even willing to give your life to him. And then normally I'm the one who's the bad guy. Oftentimes when we choose to let a mixed multitude lead our lives, there's going to be conflict. It's going to be conflict. And it's not like some sort of religionism. It's just when you have a different set of priorities than somebody else, it's hard to line up. It's very hard. And many of us have tried. But this mixed multitude comes. It's not just the children of Israel. It's not. There's other people there as well. And it's interesting. You notice that, you know, when you get to verse 40 and following, it's like a recap. I call these summary statements. Where, as remember we said that there's a good chance Moses wrote a lot of the first five books, but a lot of scholars believe that it was compiled later and there was injected material into it liturgical material. In a lot of ways, verses 40 to 42 is one of the reasons scholars believe that. Moses wasn't like, you know, uh, journaling every night and we have the first five books of Moses. You know, this stuff was written later, just some compilation, because notice it says, you know, it goes back again. It says, once again, there's 430 years they were there. And And look at verse 42. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. You know, so it's almost like a, a commentator speaking in. This is a solemn observance night. Now, I say that and someone, maybe you grew up hearing, hey, Moses wrote the whole thing and that's how inspiration works. We believe that the Bible is inspired, but we believe that God uses human authors. So when there's a compilation, I don't have any problem. It's not like only Moses was inspired. Our Bible tells us that all sorts of people were inspired. David and Solomon, and then people like Agur and Asaph, who we don't know anything about. We don't know anything about them. But God, we believe in the author behind the authors. We don't neglect the human authors, but we believe that they were inspired, moved by the Holy Spirit. So I I don't think that by saying that Moses didn't write every single word of the first five books, that's not a problem with inerrancy at all or infallibility. We believe that God inspires people to write it down. Now, verse 43, and we'll finish the chapter here. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it. But every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all the males be circumcised, then let him come near and keep it, and he shall be a native of the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Thus the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. Now, once again, we're going over the Passover. Again, And now the main thing that we bring out of it is that the laws for the children of Israel were meant to be classless. Not that they're not classy, but that 
Everybody needs to be in the same spot. And it comes down to the fact that someone who is not part of the children of Israel in circumcision, that rite of circumcision, should not partake of the Passover in the same way. In a lot of ways, the communion table is the same way. We read in, in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul said, listen, do not eat and drink of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner because you eat and drink judgment on yourself. And so that makes people feel weird, but the reality is, is that taking the communion, that, that symbolic picture of the finished work of Jesus, you have to actually believe that too. It's not enough just to do it as a ritual. You have to really be there. And so what they're saying is that, listen, if you're not circumcised, then you're not part of the children of Israel. If you're not part of the children of Israel, then you shouldn't be partaking of the Passover. That's what they're saying. Now, does that mean that everyone needs to be circumcised? And what's the answer? No, not physically. Because we know that circumcision was a picture of the circumcision of the heart. And we've talked about this when we talked about the rite of circumcision Circumcision is cutting away the cutting of the flesh of that which is unnecessary. And God, in the prophet, says, look, circumcise your hearts. Cut away the rebellion in your hearts. And that is what the work of Jesus Christ is all about. It's about God saying, look, I want to cut away that parts of you that's in rebellion against me. That parts of you that causes you pain, grieves my spirit, hurts people. I want to cut that away. I want you to be changed. Changed. And that's the work that God is doing. That's the work. And so that's why they make the strong case. Listen, this Passover is not just for anybody. It's for people who are circumcised, who have that mark of the covenant in and of themselves. And so as I close here this evening, I want to remind you. I want to remind you of this. God's doing a work. And God wants each one of us simply to show up so that he can do the work. In our busy lives, I was thinking about this today as I was running from appointment to appointment, you know? And I was like, God, in the midst of my busyness, I still want to show up in my heart. Let you teach me what you want to teach me. Let you reveal to me and in me the things that you want to. How often do we go through a day and God wants to do some heart work, but we're just not available. God wants to do this thing in our hearts through the circumstances of our lives. See, when we realize that Jesus is the curriculum of our lives and our job and our spouses and our family struggles and our financial struggles and our health concerns, that those are all just part of the curriculum to make us like Jesus. Then all of a sudden you don't wish your life away, you embrace your life. You say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm showing up for you to do the work you want to do in me. And I believe for each one of us, we need to let God circumcise our hearts every single day. Because, you know, maybe we had a good day yesterday and the flesh pops up in a new and unique way today, doesn't it? It's like this thing I'm not worried about anymore, but now I got this whole other thing I didn't realize. As John Steinbeck, the great author, said, that the layers of our heart are like peeling an onion. There's always another layer and it always comes with tears. But we want to show up. I, this, this idea of showing up, that's what Jesus speaks about, about abiding in the vine. Abiding. Abide doesn't mean that you don't do anything. It means you keep doing what you're doing. The only difference is, is you're connected to the Lord and you're letting the Lord work on you. 
every minute of every day, in every circumstance. I believe that God wants to do amazing things in our lives. And when I say amazing, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. When you think about it, suffering is one of the main teachers that we have. When we suffer, we realize that really all you need is Jesus. Because when He's all you have, you realize He's all you need. Suffering is a great teacher. And that's why we can embrace tribulation, knowing that it produces godliness in our lives. It's not fun when it's happening, but it is effectual. So brothers and sisters, today, the end of January 2013, let's just say, God, I want you to cut away what you need to cut away. Today. And we'll show up tomorrow morning and we'll say, God, I need you to cut away what you need to cut away. Today. And then we'll get to the next day and we'll say, God, can you cut away what you need to cut away? I want you to shape me I want you to form me. I want you to conform me to the image of Christ. I want you to transform me to the person that you died and rose again that I'd be. And as God does that work in us individually, God's going to be doing a work in us as a community, as a church. And as God does this corporate work in all of us, God's going to be doing a work in all of our lives and the people that we're around. And that's where a gospel movement happens. That's where revival happens. It happens as God is at work in people who are vulnerable enough to let Him. And as we do that together, and as we see that start spreading outward, then you see the things that we really want to see. Where we're seeing God change a culture change a world let his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven but that revival has to begin with us saying God your will be done in my life and as we do that together all bets are off because God will do whatever he wants to do because we'll be available to him and isn't that what we really want not to remember a revival of yesterday. How awesome, great. I wish I could have been around in America in the 70s when the Jesus movement happened. I, I would have loved to have seen that. But I want to see it in this generation. I want to see God move in power in Clark County. Seeing people come to know Him despite all of us. But it's only going to happen if we say, God, I'm available. My pastor used to always say, Daniel, you and God in, every, in any crowd is a majority. Can you imagine all of us and God? Wow. I want to see that. I believe God wants to do that. But we have to let him circumcise our hearts. Cut away what's unnecessary, what's rebellious. Jesus is real. As the people left Egypt, they left not only with goods, but as a mixed multitude. Pastor Daniel explained what that meant and related it to the difficulty of carrying on relationships with others who believe something else. 
we need to be on the same page. It's our joy to bring you Jesus is Real Radio each day here on this station. We want to give you the opportunity to partner with us here at Jesus is Real Radio so we can bring the ministry to as many people as possible. Simply log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and select Partner from the main menu. There you can help spread God's Word by becoming a monthly supporter or by giving a one-time gift. For most of us, our smartphone is an extension of our body. They are constantly ringing and dinging, telling us what to do and where to go next. We want to encourage you to subscribe to the Jesus Is Real podcast. Each week, the programs right here on the radio are available in podcast format. So if you miss one of the broadcasts, you can always catch up by subscribing to the Jesus Is Real podcast. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel will pick up at the Red Sea after the Hebrews have left Egypt. They're one step closer to what God has promised them. And at the bank of a large body of water, he won't let them down. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series entitled, The Passover. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.